Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today's podcast, Gino and I will be discussing what do we mean when we say we need to get to the heart of a person's issue. When we say look at the heart, what are we saying? What are we trying to get at? What do we mean by that? So, without further ado, Anthony, welcome and bring us in. We're back. Yes, we are back. Happy New Year. Yep, Happy New Year, Jay. Yeah. So thank you for the cup of coffee, by the way. Oh yeah, today brought to us by where? By Olympia today. Um, <laughs> with my, uh, it was a sad day in our house. Um, in the middle of December, um, I discovered that my favorite Olympia coffee mug had been cracked oh. at the rim. And, and though it was drinkable, though you could use it, uh, the cup had been desecrated. Mm-hmm. And um, Kyla and the boys in the good Christmas spirit uh, got me some Olympia coffee, a lot of Olympia coffee. Yeah. And this new mug. So Nice. Yeah, it was. Oh, it's it was, a nice. It's, it's, it's very nice, actually. Yeah. It's a different tint. Yeah, it's like this grayish white. Yeah. Beautiful. It's like a little... Hint of blue, depending on the way the light hits it. There's definitely a little bit of blue in that gray. So you can tell the people a, a person's drinking habits based on how their coffee cup looks. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. Mine yeah. always look the same yeah. after they've been used. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a quality. Not every coffee mug is created equal. I know. I know. It, it's some coffee tastes better in other mugs than. Isn't that weird? Yeah, people I don't get so. that. Yeah. Yeah, but but the, you're, you're, it's a hundred percent true. <laughs> your coffee mug matters uh ceramic is better yes uh metal not good glazed ceramic is nice yes yep oh uh-huh. it kind of flows better um look we can really nerd out on coffee yes uh and just just in case the casual person is listening in who's not aware we are connoisseurs some people have said snobs that's not true just because <laughs> we don't drink starbucks doesn't mean we're snobby just means we don't enjoy Starbucks. Right. Yeah, okay. It, it, yeah. it doesn't mean we're enlightened. Or does it? No, we're all, I, <laughs> a little no, bit. Totally enlightened, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, somebody would be like, I got to hide my Starbucks. I don't care if you drink Starbucks. Yeah. It's your tongue. Do what you want. Mm-hmm. You want to drink Folgers? I'll pray. <laughs> I can't even say it. Sorry, Thomas. You're, uh, your Folger habits is crazy to me. <laughs> There's better stuff out there, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so here we are. Welcome back. Good good Christmas break. Good New Year's. Uh, it's time to roll. We have a good discussion today. Uh, some stuff's kind of come up in the last month. Uh, I know in the sermons, definitely, that um, we're kind of like, okay, we, we need to fully podcast on this. Uh, so just kind of like big picture overview. You know, we say you say things in ministry a lot. And there's always a question of like, what do you say and what is heard? What do you, what do you, and then, then you run into these like, 
when you're when you're working with people and you're trying to help people and people bring problems to you, which is really good, and they talk to you about their problems, and then they'll talk to you about their proposed solutions. Um, you know, they'll have these kind of like plans. And a lot of times you're like, okay, but no, let's, you got to get to the heart of the issue that the person you're working with, or you got to get to your heart issue. Right. right? And so um, th- this is where this coordinates because when we say you got to get to the heart issue, the question is, well, what do you mean by that? And that's a fair question. Yep. Okay. So the scenario we'll set up is common the details can be adjusted depending on the, the situation, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but typically somebody come and say, Hey, I'm working with somebody who has this problem or I myself have this problem. Okay. So, uh, then, then obviously they're looking for some kind of solution, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times parents are looking for, how do I make my kids stop doing what they're doing and doing something else, which is fine. Like on the surface, that's fine. That also happens in marriages where somebody be like, oh, my spouse is doing this. And I will, how do I make them do that? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, now, now you're starting to get into a little bit of a, like kind of a, you know, you, there, there is a, there's a slight warning, mm-hmm. like the yellow light that indicates the check engine light is coming on in both of those situations in my mind. Right. Okay. And the reason why the check engine light's coming on is because you actually can't make people do things. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems in Christian ministry is, and you've seen it, in fact, when we were um, kind of talking before this, right, we see it all the time in, mm-hmm. in counseling situations where one person is like, here's the problem, my spouse or this other person is doing this, what do I do? And what's kind of implied and looked for is to make them stop and do something different. Mm-hmm. And you know you're dealing with that when you say something like, well, have you tried serving them? Oh, yeah, that didn't work. Mm. It's like, okay, well, maybe what you're looking to have work isn't like God's not calling you to actually make that person change. Right. And that's the problem. Yeah. I I think you, I mean, another way we say this is like in one way we're being results driven versus principle driven. Yeah, where um, you want, I did this, therefore, um, I deserve these results. Yeah, usually it's kind of the way we frame it in our minds, right? Like I've 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 done my part, therefore you owe me your part. Yeah, that's a that's as much as we'd like that to be the reality. Um, it's not it's it's not the case. It's not how you help people because if you if you're very good at making people do things then you might want to ask the question, am I manipulating them into uh, the behaviors I want to see versus um, am I actually help them, helping them change their convictions to the kind of convictions that honor God so that they can process life on their own and make godly decisions? That's very difficult. It and is very difficult. And it's a, it, it's, it is a long game. Yeah, and it's... I'm glad you used the word manipulation because it is a form of manipulation. It is, yes. So if you even make, if it's good, right? Yes, and and that was um, yes, and that's something at the start I want to say too. A lot of times these situations, um, you know, I, I think for most of us there's a well, is it good or evil? Mm-hmm. And and I'll say for the most part, I don't, I've never had somebody come to me and say, "Hey, I want them to do this." Because what they're, you know, 
because they want the person to do evil. Mm. Like on paper, you can even say like, oh, a spouse or somebody says like, well, I want my kids to do this. And most of the time, this is something you can look in scripture and go, yeah, no, that's good. Mm-hmm. Like showing respect to your mom. Yeah, no, that's, that's biblical. That's honorable. That's good. That's right. Like, so, um, but again, you, if you manipulate that, the problem is their convictions haven't really changed. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of, Hey, let's clean the outside of this cup up mm-hmm. so that the, so that everything looks good on paper, mm-hmm. you know, and, and look, I want conflict to go away between my kids and my wife, just because I don't like to see my wife in conflict with my kids. Like on the one hand, it's my wife and you're like, dude, leave my wife alone. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you realize like, if I can just simply make it go away, that doesn't mean it went away. Right. Okay. So we, we always say like, you got to get to the heart of the issue. And uh, so again, this, this scenario works for people that want to hear what you have to say. We're going to talk about obstinate people towards the end too. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do with an obstinate person? Uh, because that question comes up, um, even when people don't realize they're asking that question, they're asking that question. But so when we say you're you got to get to the heart, right? The, we understand the Bible talks about the heart is the, that's where our will and our motives and our thinking takes place. Mm Mm-hmm. So our actions are the result of what is going on at the heart. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Other, not you're you're not talking about manipulated actions. You're talking about a person's, um, uh, a, a person's thinking that's mo- motivated by their actual convictions. Yes. That lead to their actions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When those convictions can be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, even somebody who's hungry who then gets up and goes and gets food, right? It's still their, their mind is telling them, Hey, the solution to your hunger problem is found in the refrigerator. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Or it's found, you know, at over some barilla tacos, mm-hmm. which is logical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, right. So even then that action is the hard action. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and again, you can, you can say it doesn't matter. Everything under the sun stems from the hard action. Um, whether that be good or evil. So whether that, you know, um, somebody with no self-control, it's because their heart has no self-control. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody who's abusive, it's because their heart is abusive. Mm-hmm. Their heart hates who they're abusing. Um, you know, an adulterer has a heart problem of selfishness and that lust and is pursuing that through another relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, you might you might even be able to throw premarital sex into adultery because even though you're not married, you're still defiling the marriage bed mm-hmm. in that there's no marriage bed. Yeah. Okay. So uh, all that to say, you've still got to like, it doesn't matter who that is. You have to get to that person and say, okay, what is going on in your heart that leads to these actions? What do you think and believe that leads to those actions? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what I hope this podcast helps somebody diagnose. Yep. That, okay. okay. That's yeah. Fair. So even in your own sin, like, okay, wait a minute. Like what's going on on my own heart level? So the Bible breaks this down into three categories, I would say. Mm-hmm. And again, if I were diagramming it right, I would use circles and these circles would all have an overlap so that they're not three distinct because somebody is going to listen to this and be like, well, but that one's kind of like this one. And that's true. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of overlap here. So the three circles I would concentrically say at the heart these three problems exist in every human being. There's no human being outside of Jesus Christ who 
could sit down at this table and say, Oh, that's not for me. That mm-hmm. that's not, I don't struggle with that. I would be like, uh, then you're calling the Bible a liar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the three that I broke down were pride, idolatry, and unbelief. Yep. Okay. So, um, pride, idolatry, and unbelief. And again, all of them have overlap. Okay, because even in your idolatry, you believe the wrong things, and there's pride, and in your unbelief, you believe something else. You know, so unbelief meaning that uh, a lack of trust, understanding, or knowledge of God's will on the issue. Yeah. Okay, so even in your pride, sometimes it's like, well, I really want this, and so you believe right that getting that that what you want needs to be obtained mm-hmm. when what you want may be actually bad for you mm-hmm. and it may be bad for other people, which kind of could make it worse. Yes. Okay. So, and then in that is also idolatry because we're all worshipers. Mm-hmm. And so you have like, um, you know, the psalmists in two places will say things like you become what you worship. Well, that's because what you worship, there's belief structured with what you worship. So doesn't matter what you worship. Everything you worship has a ethics code to it. Mm. And that ethics code is, is I'm going to call that ethics code unbelief because you're creating your own ethics code, even if you're using some scripture. So the Pharisee-minded person has a, has a religious idolatry that may adopt some of scripture for their rules to, to get what they want in their worship. The problem is there's pride also in there and idolatry of it's not Jesus Christ they're worshiping. It's some form of religiosity and unbelief because it's not centered on the grace of Jesus Christ. Mm, mm. So it's the salvation is in doing these works. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and to be fair, I think there's a Pharisee in all of us too. So that's, that's not like, you know, yeah, there's a Pharisee in all of us. But so when we say, okay, like at the heart of everybody is pride, idolatry, and unbelief. Now you've got to sit down and figure out, wait a minute, what is it? And what combination and what am I idolizing? What is this person idolizing? What does this person believe? And where's the pride? And right. so we've talked a lot about in this church about pride and humility. And we've, we've said multiple times that uh, it's not a question of do you have pride? It's a question of where you have pride. And we've also said that you can operate with humility uh, because some people will be like, look, look, pride is this unobtainable goal that you can, that you can never get or humility is an unobtainable goal that you can never have. Well, if that's true, then Acts 20 is weird because Paul's like, I served you with all humility. Mm. Okay, well, Paul's a human being just like us. Yes, he's an apostle, but it wasn't like God was like, hey, only the apostles can have true humility. So, we, yeah, we can operate with humility too. Mm. Uh, so when you when you start to get into that, let's let's kind of, we'll kind of break that down and we'll we'll just go through this um, and know this is not in order of priority. It's in order that I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah so because there yeah yeah if you know me you know i'm I'm not a ranker i don't like ranking um so all right when we say get at the heart you gotta ask the question where's where's your pride at in this mm-hmm. okay so now you gotta like okay what it what where's the pride in this individual or in you so you're helping to find the heart mm-hmm. issue and some of that right so part of that is pride yeah yeah, and when you say pride, like how would you define that for for the audience? Is there like a in your mind uh, um, a quick definition for it? Yeah, um, pride is the exaltation of self. Okay. Yeah, uh, it is the exaltation of what I want. 
Um, which again, now you can see why the overlap with idolatry. Yeah. And even, point. yeah, the overlap of yeah. belief. Uh, Stuart Scott in his book, Pride and Humility, I uh, said, uh, when someone is proud, he or she is focused on self. It is a form of self-worship. Again, overlapping with idolatry here. Prideful people believe that they are or should be the source of what is good, right, and worthy of praise. They also believe that they, by themselves, are or should be the accomplisher of anything that is worthwhile to accomplish, and that they should certainly be the benefactor of all things. In essence, they are believing that all things should be from them, through them, and to them, and for them. Pride is competitive towards others, especially God. It wants to be on top. And so uh, he quotes... Thomas Watson, pride seeks to ungod God. That's um wow yeah that's that's really good actually good definition. Um, I, I feel like it, it's so blinding. People with lots of pride, and I mean that includes all of us, right? We yeah <laughs> we're trying to kill pride in in our life. Um, and I I mean I, I I'll put it this way: I'm like trying to always kill the Pharisee in me, because what the Pharisee in me wants to do. It blindly, it blindly exalts myself and even props up an ethics code. And you become judge, jury, and executioner of that ethics code. And without knowing it, though that ethics code might reflect what's in the Bible, um, you put yourself in the seat of God, whereas uh, you are to be a servant rather than be on the seat of God. Um, is that fair? Yes, 100%. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, I tell my kids, like, do you want me to put a throne? Should you have a throne in the middle of the house that we all bow to? <laughs> right. Which I know That's is good. like really hyperbole and over the top, but I, it's that my point is kind of like you're doing whatever you're doing right now, you're asking the whole family to revolve around you. It's a great picture. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then they'll be like, but dad, you, and I'm like, dude, but I'm not trying to ask the family to revolve around me. I'm trying to prevent the destruction that would come if we all had to walk on eggshells around you. Mm. Like we're like, we don't need to wake up and ask ourselves, would this kid be okay with this today? Like, can I do this? Like that, Mm -hmm. like you're like the person that deserves to be in that chair is God himself. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to seek to please God knowing that it may displease you. But if I seek to please you, now I'm going to see, now I'm going to displease Christ. Right. Cause I can't put, me or other people in the middle of the room like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. And it, it comes out like in situations all the time. So, uh, the, you know, it's helpful to go through this little book on pride to humility with Stuart Scott, by the way, because he has, um, like 30 manifestations of pride. Uh, I lost my old copy that I used to have notes in. I think I had like four or five, six others. Um, this is where the book by Gavin Ortland on humility is really good too. Is it mm. Gavin or Dane? I think that one's Gavin. Yeah. Okay. Um, where, because it was, um, um, no, who wrote gentle and lily? Dane. Dane did. Okay. So Gavin, yeah. Wrote the one on humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I actually thought Gavin's book was better. Mm, okay. Yeah. I told him that on Goodreads. Oh, good. Hopefully that didn't puff him up. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting, right? Like in some of these situations you work with in people in life, um, Sometimes reconciliation is very slow because the one or both parties feels like the other person did something that's so offensive that they can't forgive them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many times have you been like, well, but you got to reconcile and you'll hear them respond with Yeah, but you don't know what he did or she did. Mm-hmm. And then that response is this, like this sense of justice. But the reality is 
you kind of want to be like, yeah, you were on the receiving end of sin. Like you are more offended because you had to go through that. than you are offended that Jesus Christ was offended. Yeah. So in that unforgiveness, would you say that's that, that person is trying to dispense justice in his own way? Yes. Right. So that, again, that puts you in the seat of God when you do that, because if you withhold forgiveness, what you're saying is, well, no, I'm, uh, this is just to do that. Uh, and therefore, I am God. Yes. <laughs> That's a scary. Yeah, people don't realize that. No, yeah. because if you then ask the question, wait a minute, is that how God, is that the same thing God do, does towards me? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. Like, God forgives you of sin, of your sinfulness. And because he gave, because he forgave you of your sinfulness, you're actually forgiven of sins you yourself aren't even aware of. Yep. And those sins are atrocious to God. And he's the only person that can dispense justice rightly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's the he's the judge, not me. Right. So, um, so it's good to kind of be like, okay, so if you're diagnosing yourself, like if you if you're struggling with something, it's good to ask the question, like, wait a minute, where where is the pride in my heart? Mm-hmm. Like, excuse me. Like, if you can't be, um, like we we talked about compassion and mercy a lot, um if you can't be compassionate and merciful to other people and, and compassion is not just an emotion. Like when we say compassion, that you need to have compassion. I, I fear in this culture, what people hear is like my emotions need to be tugged to the point of doing something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true. Your assessment of the situation should be of such to where you realize, Hey, other people are broken sinners too. Therefore I'm going to show mercy just as God showed mercy. Yes. So, um, and, and in fact, this is his 16th point. Proud people are rarely concerned for others and their concerns. Ah, yep. And that, that's where the Good Samaritan, you know, that's a story of compassion, kindness, and mercy. And, and I'm sure when we read that and modernize, we read that with our modern emphasis on emotions. It's 100% possible that the Good Samaritan had like doctor bedside manners. You know, like where it's kind of like, does my doctor even care? And it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, and then you'll say, well, why don't you think your doctor care? Well, I just came in. I was like, how are you feeling? Good, good. Okay, well, have a good day. And it was like, no, like, emotion. It's like, well, but that doesn't mean he didn't have compassion for you. That's Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, now, of course, doctor gets paid to do that. But on the flip side, he, he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could do something else. So, um. You know, so you got to get there and be like, okay, wait a minute. Am I being defensive? Okay, wait a minute. My actions are stemmed from being defensive towards somebody else. Well, see, every time I do this, this other person does this and I, and it hurts. So right at some level, you're being defensive. Mm. If you're like, oh, I don't show my spouse the kind of love God calls me to because it leads to him doing this and I don't like it. Well, Mm. it might be like, well, time out. Like, like you're being a little defensive there. Mm. Like why, like you're, you're more concerned with, it's almost like you're trying to like put a string over your spouse and be a puppet master there. So when you see defensive, like you're, you're almost like protecting yourself from, from, from being hurt. So there you withhold love. Yeah. Like you're kind of describing that scenario, right? Like yeah. I, I will not love you because if I do, if I write, if I love you rightly, you're not going to treat me right. Right. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Never thought about defensiveness like that. Well, and it, as I say, that might not be the classic definition of defensiveness. A lot of defensiveness is more like 
hey kids, can you take out the trash? Will you, mm-hmm. bro? Why are you like returning a simple request with like blame shifting? Mm-hmm. You know, one of my kids told me, well, but you don't ever, you've never managed that before, and I was like, bro. If you're driving down the street and get pulled over, it's the first time you ever saw a police officer on that street. You you let me know how that works out. <laughs> well, you've never you've yeah. never patrolled this street before. Right. Yeah, you already. Right. I normally speed here without. Yeah, being bothered. What's going, <laughs> I know. What's going on? Here? It's your fault for being over here. Well, yeah. no, not really. See, yeah. you should have been doing your responsibility. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh, all that to say, I think it's fair to like. To get in and be like, okay, where, where's your pride at in this situation? So what? two things that you mentioned, like, what, 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 like you, you're kind of mentioning some warning signs. Yeah. So defensiveness, blame shifting. Um, I think you said something else. I can't remember. No compassion. No compassion. No mercy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it it could be. I mean, again, like, you know, what is it that, what is it that you're offended by in this transaction, or what is it that you're bothered by? And and the question is, is it bothered because of what it does to you or is it bothersome because of Christ mm-hmm. or are you doing it because what you think you should have at the end of it? Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you, if you, so if you kind of go back to that definition of um, all things should be from, in essence, I believe that all things should be from me, through me and for me. It is possible that what I'm doing, I'm doing because I really just, want more of it okay yeah i may not stop eating because i just really enjoy food mm-hmm. but that's okay for a feast and a celebration but come monday come on mm-hmm. like be be a little bit smarter in in your habits there right yeah okay like you know you can have you can do tacos every tuesday you don't have to do every <laughs> taco tuesday in one tuesday yeah, yeah well, you got 52 of them well you're saying we can't have tacos every day i feel like there's well, that's a <laughs> I feel like you can't. <laughs> what I'm saying is that if you have 52 Taco Tuesdays oh, okay. and yeah. you do two tacos every Taco Tuesday, uh-huh. that you don't, that is 110 tacos. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. Uh, uh, 104. Yeah. 104. Yeah. I'm a Bible major, not a math major. Gotcha. No, no. Um, what I'm saying is you don't need to do all 104 tacos in one sitting. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So um it's good to be like okay where's my pride what is it that i'm trying to get out of this like what is it that i'm offended by what is it that i'm why why am i upset with this why am i defensive about this why am i blame shifting why am i right like why is the person you're helping why are they why are they being a perfectionist why are they not showing gratitude like mm-hmm. um you know why are they trying to control the situation mm-hmm. you know uh, so you see what I'm saying? Like you got to get in there and be like, okay. And so being aware of the different manifestations of pride is helpful because when you see them, you're like, oh, it's like, it's like hearing the, it's like you're driving down the road and you see the ambulance and the sirens, the sirens and the ambulance indicate to you, um, slow down and kind of slightly pull over. If you live in LA or Vegas, wait for them to pass and then resume your speed. Mm. All other parts of the country, you pull over completely and stop. Um, and so the sirens are there to indicate to you, right, what's going on in the situation. And so being aware of the different manifestations of pride can be helpful to me to say, oh, you know what? The fact that I'm blame shifting right now, like my wife just said something to me I don't like, and here I'm blame shifting. Oh, that blame shift. Okay, you know what? At my heart is some pride, and I need to acknowledge that pride's there. Mm. So even if you're helping somebody out and you, you know, you see this, 
this stubbornness in forgiving. Well, okay, now that I write, so right, all this is kind of like trying to be the doctor where you're going, okay, I see where there's pride. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the solution of pride is to not stop, is to not stop being prideful. Yeah. Okay. If I stop trying to gain control of other people, right? Young guys are like this all the time. They they try to make the world utopia, and it's and I was that way too. It's like, but you stop. You can't control the world. Like just get it out of your system. But even if I stop, that doesn't mean I've I've escaped the pride problem. Gotcha. Okay. So, but in terms of diagnosing my actions, the pride is there. Yeah. Yeah. And to clarify, just because people probably have not heard that before, like, so you're saying. Um, if, if there's a legit um, pride issue, like stopping the behavior doesn't necessarily mean you're stopping pride. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you could be prideful in your repentance. Mm. 25 years sober. Look at all this work I did. Yep. And again, like, yeah, dude, I'm very thankful you've been sober for 25 years. Um, You know, by the grace of God, you've done that. Right. You know, so, and that's the interesting part, right? Like, um, you can stop being prideful in some ways and not believe in Jesus Christ. Yes. And, and you see it all the time. Like you watch my 600 pound live. Some of those people are not believers. Five years later, they look quote unquote more like somebody's normal body weight. Mm-hmm. And yet they know they don't believe in Jesus Christ. You right. know? So it just shows that, that even unbelief can have enough self control mm-hmm. to, to change the way you look. So right. it's the addict getting uh, get, like the addict getting off drugs, yeah. but is not a worshiper. Um, he just exalted himself, uh, though he has gotten off drugs and that could be helpful to those around him. He still hasn't solved this most important issue, yeah. which is his worship issue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you're helping a draw, you're helping somebody who's struggling with alcohol or, or substance abuse. Well, you need to realize at the heart, there's pride. Mm-hmm. There's this desire that, that maybe the drug or the substance provides that that person wants and says, I, you know, I'm not even going to have control with it because I want what it gives me at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that, you got to go, okay, there, there's some kind of, you've got, you've got a pride problem there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Um, you know, working with people that are control freaks, realizing, okay, that's pride. Mm. Um, excuse me, working with, you know, egotistical people or, you know, you're trying to help somebody who's very egotistical. Well, that's a pride problem. Uh, the self deflating person. It's aware to it's aware to realize. Okay, at the heart, there's pride there. Yeah, you know, and the self deflating person, I think, is the more common pride seen in the church, more so than the look at how great I am. Mm. Uh, most people in the church kind of have this like, uh, can you believe how bad these other people treat me? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that that's pride. Like, you know, yeah. Again, I don't want you to be mistreated, uh, but at the same time, to be offended by everything everybody does. It's like that you're you're expecting them to walk into the room and to think about you as much as you think about you, right? So at the heart issues, this pride that's like you gotta, you know, like it's like that. It's it's like a fragility, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's talked about in in society today, where people are so fragile they can't handle, um, they can't handle life because everything is so offensive. Yes, uh, but that that's in the church too, and it could be with good things um, or things that you know we're deemed are deemed holy for example and like well you're not holy and that's just so offensive i can't be here anymore or i don't like you yeah. or i can't be around you because you're just look look at the way you dress look at the you know what i mean it's like well have you thought about like you know there's there's like 10 things to think about before you come to that conclusion right yeah 
Well, and, and even like, yeah. So maybe she comes in wearing something that's probably inappropriate for church. Uh, we'll get to the hard issue. Mm-hmm. Like if all you do is judge from afar, you're, you're casting your own heart onto her heart. Yeah. She may not know. She may be unaware. Yeah. It may be pride. It may be, she's like, Hey, if I dress like this, I'll get a good godly man. Well, hopefully, you know, the kind of guy you're, you're looking for, you don't want him to be attracted to you because you're, you know, you look good in that dress. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, 10 years down the road, your looks are going to be gone. You know, you want him to be attracted to you for who you are in Christ. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying your looks are gone, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's a stat out there that men think the ideal woman is like 22, 23. That's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, disagree. Oh, right. Yeah. My wife is the most beautiful person to me in the world, regardless mm-hmm. of her age. Uh, and that's, but, but again, that takes some kind of thought in your brain. You know what I mean? Like that's his intentionality. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that, that's actually a good issue, right? So the guy that's upset with his wife, cause she doesn't look beautiful anymore. That's a pride problem. Mm. You know, again, he wanted to, in his mind, you know, especially after kids, well, the body changes. So you should like, he wanted to control that so much. I think that's why plastic surgery is so popular by the way, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that he doesn't understand, hey, the body's going to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's yeah. good. It's beautiful. Yep. It's the way God designed it. So, um, yeah, okay. So do we, do, we, do, we, do we cover pride well enough? I think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We did a great job at covering pride. <laughs> we, were, we were awesome. <laughs> we were awesome. That was uh, totally. You should, write, you should be writing us letters of how good that was. Uh, yeah. Somebody's not going to pick up the tongue in cheek on that. Mm. We're just kidding around. So the, the irony was intended. Um, oh, one of them's talking too much. Let's skip that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, all that say, um, it's a good place to ask. Like, hey, what is this person? What is this person to me? What What are they trying to accomplish? Who's at the center of this person's actions? Mm-hmm. Is this person motivated by self? Is this you know, um, or is it about other people? Mm. Is it about Jesus Christ? Yeah. You know, because true humility, um, which humility is the opposite of pride. Mm -hmm. So a humble person has combated pride because now they're serving other people for the glory of Christ. Yep. Yeah. Instead of serving other people, for themselves. Mm-hmm. So the humble person can actually is actually doesn't mind being offended because they realize in a sinful world, people are going to do sinful things. Mm. And if I'm, if I'm too busy being offended by your sinful actions, well, I'm not going to serve you. Yeah. Like I'm going to be hung up on how dare you rather than, okay, Hey, you know, I mean, could you imagine a doctor, a cancer or an OBGYN who hated babies? <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Yeah. Know, good luck. Yeah. So, right, because the second that baby's like, oh, no, I'm out. Yep. Uh, doc, who's going to finish delivery? No, no. Uh-uh. You know, like, no. So so humility's got to be like, okay, hey, look, like, I got to deal with, even if even if my preferences are for kids, I got to deal with this. Like, you know, and I'm going to serve you because this child matters and the life matters and yeah. you matter. Yeah, and when you bring that up, it makes me think of people who are legitimately hurt. Uh, let's just say there there is injustice there, right? Um, and they are legitimate, legitimately hurt. Um, 
you know, is that, and a person's examining themselves and they come to that conclusion, like, how do they, how, how can they, how can that be affirmed or how can they be sure of that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how do you yeah. navigate, like, am I hurt? Like, am I legitimately hurt or am I, um, you know, am I just being prideful? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's both. Like, I can think about some, I mean, just kind of self-reflecting on my own, being hurt by other people's actions, realizing that um, one, to acknowledge your pride in the situation is not excusing the other person's sin. Oh, that's helpful. Yep. Yeah, and so for me to be like, okay, wait a minute. On paper, this person did this. Okay, if I just evaluate that behavior on its own, it's unrighteous and abusive behavior. Mm-hmm. However, what should my response be? And this is where love your enemies comes into play because you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, but this person did this to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, that doesn't mean we're not willing to see legal justice. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we're not willing to see some kind of consequences for their actions. However, still in me is this, like, are you willing to forgive this person? Will you forgive them if they ask? And do you want what's good for them in Jesus Christ? Yes. And that's where it gets, that's where the pride often comes out because the person's like, Oh no, 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 no. Because they did it to me. I want the, I want the full floodgates opened of punishment on this person. Mm. Well, that's a prideful response. Mm -hmm. You know, now again, um, I would, I would tell anybody that's that's ever been abused by another person. um, You have every right to call the, the police. And in fact, out of love for other people, you don't know, it's probably good for you to call the police and report the abuse. Right. Because out of a, you don't want that person, if you can stop that person's abusive behavior towards other people, that's great. Mm. But pride will creep in the second we now justify vitriol and hatred. Mm. You mm. know, and, you know, everybody always wants to bring up the rape victim at this point. I'm not telling the rape victim you need to sit at the same table. Hey, I, I would say, like, I do want to get the rape victim to the point where, one, we do care for what you went through. Two, you should not have had to go through that. Three, we want justice for the person that did it. Four, ideally, you'll both be at the banquet table with a smile on your face, rejoicing at God's grace. Yeah. And that fourth part's the really hard part. Mm-hmm. Because depending on the crime, right, our sense of justice gets wonky, but then when you go back to the gospel and you're like, oh, God forgave me for far worse. Mm-hmm. Then you go, okay, wait a minute. Th- th- there can be forgiveness for this too. Right. Okay. That's really helpful because um, no one's, we're not saying for people to become doormats. You you have like part of humility is to address the sin. Yeah. And addressing the sin um, does require you to self-reflect and say, hey, what part have I played in this? But it's not wrong to say, hey, what you did hurt me and was sinful yeah and here's why yeah it wouldn't it, it, it to not address it would actually do a disservice to the person yeah it always bothers me when somebody's like well she was raped but did you see what she was wearing i, I don't care what she was wearing i don't care if she walked in naked it's inappropriate right yeah rape's not okay right yeah so um you know what i mean because other people don't make you do something mm. at the heart of that is pride. My kids do this all the time. Their sense of justice. Like, well, why did you do that to your brother? Well, you don't know what he did to me. It, it doesn't matter. Mm. Like you don't get to treat your, like you have no validation in scripture for how you treated your brother, mm. you know, but, but you, would you say that they have every right 
to serve them by 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 calling out that sin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, so, some of you know that when it comes to narcissistic people, my patience isn't as as good as I wish it were sometimes. Mm. Um, and even to the point to where I'm willing to like say to the person, stop, you're being manipulative right there with that, with what you just said, you're deflecting the entire conversation off of the point. And yes, I will happily own up to anything I've done wrong, but for you to not acknowledge your own actions at this point is not, we're not going to do that. Mm. You have to be willing to acknowledge your actions in this as well. So why don't we do this? Why don't I focus on what I did and you focus on what you did? But but again, humility says, hey, let me listen to what I did to sin that sinned against you because I want to be right with you. Right. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? You, you got th- those. This is where things get really difficult. Um, we could probably do a whole podcast on narcissism. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of. Well, I mean, I guess idolatry. Yes. Um, and pride kind of um, address uh, that. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, that's probably a good segue into idolatry because idolatry is so, so not only are you dealing with pride, you're dealing with, um, you're dealing with wrong worship in every one of us. And so, um, when, when Christ saves us, Christ becomes, uh, the one whom we worship, the one who we bow the knee down to. He, he rightfully is in the center of our, of our worship now. Uh, the, the problem is that, we often f- start to find value in other things. Uh, and we, we tend to kind of move Christ aside so that what we value gets put in the middle. So when you're helping somebody and we say, okay, get to the heart of the issue, let's say you start to uncover pride. Well, it's also helpful to think a little bit like, wait a minute, what is, what are, what is being worshiped here? And it's also good to realize that I would say 95% of what people are worshiping are in the church. Uh, 95% of idols are good things. Mm. So the solution to idolatry is not just to, is 90% of the time. It's not just to cut it out and do something else. Okay. With alcohol. Sure. Maybe if you, if you can't, if you, if you pride and self-control and idolize alcohol, yeah, maybe it's helpful to cut that out of your life. However, you can't do that with parents who idolize their kids. You can't do that with a spouse who idolizes their spouse. You can't do that with a workaholic. You can't do that with, uh, a churchaholic. You can't do that with um, uh, a theohead. Right. Yeah. You can't. You can't say to theohead, man, your love for for theology is making you unloving. Therefore, don't go to church. Right. Stop. Stop. Stop uh, learning theology. Yeah. Like, stop. Yeah. Yeah. So instead, you've got you right. So what you got to do is you got to get to that heart. And and how to get to that heart is is to ask some questions like, okay, what 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 am I scared of losing here? What, what is most important to me here? Um, you know, uh, a common problem between couples is one wants sex more than the other. Well, I, you know, so the one that's frustrated by the other one's behavior, and sometimes that's, they both can be frustrated with each other. Well, why does he want it all the time? Why does she not want it? You know, so might be fair for each person to say, wait a minute, what, what, what do I value the most? Right. Do I value sex more than I value Jesus Christ? Mm. Do I value a day off more than I value Jesus Christ? Do I value my job more? So it's 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 good to even pray like, Lord, help me to remember I value you the most. Mm. So you've you've got this to ask those questions like, what do I value? Uh, Keller in his book Counterfeit Gods 
which by the way, I would, I would suggest, uh, that is a strong suggestion for, for, <laughs> from me, like, um, because he, this is, so I've read a lot on idolatry lately. Um, and, uh, Romans is Romans one through three is more about idolatry than anything else. Mm. And, um, for the Jewish person, it's the idolatry of you're in the right nation with the right moral code. And so again, when you read through the gospels, you can see the Pharisees actually have an idol that's connected to the, to the moral code. But Jesus keeps telling them like, these are your traditions. These you're not even close to me. Like you, you don't even know me. And, and yet we can read some of what they want. And you're like, yeah, but that's in the old Testament. So you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it just shows that they're, they're getting the outside, but they're not getting at the heart issue. Right. And Jesus is trying to drive them back to the heart. So Keller says this, um, uh, by the way, I, I love that he, um, in order to set up one of his thoughts on idolatry, he uses the Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. So points. Yeah, Keller earned points at that. Um, but it's interesting if you watch the Lord of the Rings, uh, Frodo, Gollum, Sauron, all had the ring. And that ring becomes precious to them and changes their behavior, mm-hmm. which is why I said every idol has a, has a moral code with it. Uh, and so here, um, Keller's talking about that. The central plot device, the Lord of the Rings is dark Lord, Sauron ring of power, which corrupts anyone who tries to use it. And that's what's important. Worship, corrupt, wrong worship corrupts. However good his or her intentions, the ring is what professor Tom ship, Shippy calls a psychic amplifier, which takes the heart's fondest desires and magnifies them to idolatrous proportions. Some good characters in the book want to liberate slaves or persevere their people's land or visit wrongdoers with just punishment. These are all good objectives, but the ring makes them willing to do anything to achieve them, anything at all. It turns the good thing into absolute that overturns every other allegiance or value. The wearer of the ring becomes increasingly enslaved and addicted to it. Now, here's here's really excellent point. For an idol is something we cannot live without. We must have it. And therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored to harm others and even ourselves in order to get it. Idols are spiritual addictions that lead to terrible evil. Oh, Man, what a great observation. Yeah. Spiritual addiction. Idols are spiritual. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. And and so on YouTube, there's um there's a what if what if Gandalf had taken the ring. <laughs> okay. Uh by the way, it's so good. Uh Lewis and Tolkien are masters of showing the idolatry of um self righteousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he has this long explanation. Tolkien's like, look, had, had Gandalf taken the ring, what Gandalf would have done was in the name of good, he would have been evil. And he basically would have become what we call a modern day Karen, where he would have been the HOA that drives around and takes a picture of five moved rocks and finds you $600 for it. And you're like, dude, five, like, seriously, like I, I'll just sweep the rocks back up. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, like, wow, some kid walked by and kicked those on the day that somebody drove by. Like all, all that to say that, right. They would have become his rules in order to preserve good would have actually ended up doing evil to people 
which would have created this like police force that monitors all of your behavior. It was 1984. The book by Orwell uh, does an excellent job of showing, right? When you idolize the control of others, even though you're like, yeah, but what I want others to do is good things. Well, that, 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 that idol takes over so that now you're actually willing to become, to do anything, whether there be integrity or no integrity, because the ends will justify the means. Yeah. And so that's, that's the problem with idolatry. So you value your kids more than anything else. Well, now you become a helicopter parent. Now Mm. you become like every time they're sick, the whole world has to stop for you. You know, you can't do the things you need to do. You quit being a spouse because of the plight your kids are in. And, and so the solution to idolatry, right, is to actually remember, wait a minute, where's your value? Your value is in Christ. Your value is Jesus Christ. What's interesting is in 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 idolatry, what ha- ends up happening, I notice, is um, not only do you um, like va- value this idol so much, but you devalue other human beings. Yes, and that's that's why you're willing to run them over, um, and in doing so, you actually devalue God because that's a lack of faith. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you don't believe. Yeah, yeah. So then that then there's again this proves the overlap theory. Mm. Yeah, you um, because the human beings that are valuable to you are the ones that help you get what you want. Yeah, yep. So the so the gun owner, the NRA, NRA people are valuable because they're fighting for what's valuable for you. Mm. The the quote unquote libtard who hates firearms is a libtard mm. because they don't share your same disposition towards firearms right yeah and and even though like i mean i have a i have my own theory on firearms um and you know people that know me know that theory um because yeah anyway i don't want to go down that road because i don't want to deflect from from the point mm-hmm. but the point being that just because right somebody has a different set of when people don't idolize the same things you do it will you will devalue them yep and you'll justify the calling them a libtard and whatever else you believe, because it is true. It took a person to pull that gun. It's also true that if the person didn't have that mechanical device, they wouldn't have been able to shoot 25 bullets off in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that instrument, yes, reflects the heart, but you know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not the, it's not. Yeah. I mean, again, I have my take on that because I, one of, one of the things we're going to talk about are, and maybe we can bring it up now, is that because of idolatry and pride, rules don't correct idolatry and pride. Right. You know, that's why it's like, when I, whenever I hear people say the solution to the problem is another law, it's like, well, the solutions, I mean, the laws don't change people. Right. All they do is give the, give the state another means of executing judgment and punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if we make a law that says, I mean, no killing, oh, we already have that law. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And why, why isn't it working? Yeah. Well, God actually says like to hate other people is akin to killing them. I mean, the Bible says thou shalt not hate. And yet here we are hating people. Right. And justifying our hatred. Well, why? Because there's pride and idolatry. These people, right? I mean, you see, you're going to see it this next year in election year or this year in election. You're going to see the Republicans hate the Democrats and the Democrats hate the Republicans. And you're going to see some Christians say, you, there's no way you can be saved if you're a Democrat. And it's like, uh, you realize you just you just muddied the gospel. Yeah, You just made your political party, you infused it to the gospel, and made your belief about politics 
the gospel, yes. and that's idolatry. Yeah, yeah, and it's easy to to fall into that thinking because there are a lot of good moral things that maybe one side believes over another, but it's still not the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This so I'm I'm reading the Screw Tape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, and and I just want to say that uh, first of all, uh, the Screw Tape Letters is um one of the most profound anthropology books I've ever read. Wow. And the common denominator in most of his letters is he shows the warping of worship. And that's what makes it beautiful. Mm. And so now he's writing as if he's a, as if he's the he's a demon discipling a younger demon. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times he'll say things like, yeah, see if you can like He'll call God the enemy. The enemy is looking for this. So if you can get him to kind of, you don't need to get him to think 100% different. Just get him to shift their value system from honoring God to seeing the action done, done. Mm. Right? So if I can shift from honoring God to no transgenderism, mm-hmm. right? And now now the war is about no transgenders. Mm. But But at the end of the day... You know, now now we're going to be willing to justify basically what the Nazis did. Right. I mean, that was the Nazis. Like, yep, hey, yep, we exactly that's what's for, for the benefit of humanity. Um, for survival of the fittest, let's kill these people that have mental health issues, handicap issues, because obviously they're not fit. Yeah. Well, they're not, again, worthy, they're not worthy to 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 contribute to society. Yeah. Therefore, let's just get rid of them. Make it easier. Yes, and, and will solve it. Will solve problems. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he's he's got a wonderful quote on patriotism and pacifism. He's like, it doesn't matter which way you get your disciple to go, either make him an all-out patriot, patriot, or an all-out pacifist. Either way you go, you're getting him into this extreme where they're going to be about their meetings, their pamphlets, their policies, their movements, their causes and crusades. And what's going to jettison is prayer, sacraments, and crusade and um, charity. Mm. And that, that it's amazing because charity in the 1940s, we, we might translate that today as love. So this amazing quote, whichever he adopts, again, he's talking about, right? He's, he's, we're, he's um, screw tapes talking to his disciple. Whichever your, your, um, your pupil adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. See, there it is. There's the infusing of idolatry. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause. Mm-hmm. So, hey, part of this cause is, is going to church in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of your, of your pursuit, which because he's writing in the context of world war two, the British war effort or pacifism. Now here's interesting because he slips in here, this interesting biblical point, the attitude, which you, you want to guard against is that in which temporal affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. See, so notice even there. You have to break that down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So the attitude which you want to guard against. Mm -hmm. Okay, remember. So in other words, what he just said is, this is the biblical way to think about it, is that temporal affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. In other words, 
because a lot of people will hear us say things like, I mean, they, they happened on social media. I said, look, be careful about your culture pursuits. People are like, well, you should be involved. That's not what we're saying. We're saying don't infuse, like don't, don't bloody, don't muddy your worship of Jesus Christ by thinking it's about changing the culture. Mm-hmm. We're not saying, right, one of your vocations is to be a disciple maker to unbelievers. Mm-hmm. However, if all you do is post articles about your political party and denouncing articles about uh, other issues that uh, the media is running a lot, right? So in other words, if all of your articles are anti-transgender, anti-LGBTQ, anti-BLM, anti-this, anti-that, anti-that, you're actually not advocating the gospel. Mm-hmm. So It's and yet, the outside of the cup. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But at the, at the end of the day, it's like I engage culture – because out of a love for Jesus Christ, I want the culture. I invade people. I invade people in the culture. Right. The Sunday morning platform is to engage those who are in the audience. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean. Like culture is this kind of like nefarious fluid. It's like trying to grab water. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you go to talk to a person individually, I don't ever think of you don't think of that individual as it as the culture. You think of them as individuals. So there he's saying right, like the attitude you want to guard against is that which temporal affairs are treated primarily as materials for obedience. In other words, that's a right view. Mm. So he's like, look, guard against this person seeing this as a part of their, you know. Is that saying, is that basically like saying, like, like stop trying to win the culture war? Is that what it's? Yeah, Lewis is, um, um, Lewis is pointing out that some people have, in fact, he goes on, the, the back end of the quote kind of helps bring clarity to it. Once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. See, the world is the end. Changing the world is the end, and faith is yep. the means of changing the world. Well, what he's saying is faith is the end. Mm-hmm. And, right, so that's what he's trying to do. you, you got to read this and, and put the opposite in. So faith gotcha, yeah. faith is the faith is the end goal, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to serve the world. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be a good Samaritan. It doesn't mean that we're not going to vote. It doesn't mean that we're not going to, that, that when given the opportunity to vote against abortion, that we're not going to do that. Of course we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the end result is other people's faith in Jesus Christ, yeah. which yeah. we can't control. Yeah. So all we can do is be, and that this is what you mean as primary material for obedience. All we can do is serve people, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's where faith is. Here's where rest is. Here, here's where you can actually, here's, here's where tre- true treasure is. Here's where you can, you can actually rest from your works, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's actually the solution to idolatry because, um, in, in unpacking idolatry, uh, right. It's a overvaluing of something other than Jesus Christ. That's why I said in the beginning, you can't for 99% of the time, you can't tell the person to get rid of the idol. Because mm-hmm. like, what what are you going to do to the mom who idolizes your kids? Get rid of your kids? Right? No, you're not going to do that. You, instead, you got to say like, look, you have to learn how to handle your kids in a way that treasures Christ and brings Him honor. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the guy that works in IT that has a porn addiction, I'm not going to tell him like, bro, you got to get rid of your computer. You got to learn how to control that. Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to realize what sex is for and who it's for. And you got to really, you got to value it in a way that honors Christ instead of valuing it in the way you're valuing it. Right. 
So, right, you've got to change your value system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with drinking, it's one thing because you don't have to buy alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, with food, what do you tell the person that struggles with overeating? Mm -hmm. Okay, quit eating. Yeah. Good for, (laughs) you got seven days. Yeah. 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 I I guess you can go 40 days without food if you just have water. And you got 40 days. And it will work. You'll lose some weight, but it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be having your funeral soon. Yeah. Well, he died. Like, well, he gave up his (laughs) idol. Yeah, but you know what I mean? So you have to mm. learn how to handle that. And so, yeah. I can see why it's so difficult uh, yeah. because people treat the end, faith, faith, faith as the end and uh, behavior as the end as e- uh, equal. You, you know what I mean? Like they, they yeah. see it on the same platform, but it's actually not because, um, and what we're saying is that true faith, um, true faith infused in the heart actually changes the behavior and that's very difficult for people to see yeah it and and it gets confusing yeah. uh, and, and i understand the confusion yeah i also think what we're proposing takes a lot more work it does take a lot of work yeah we yeah. we talk about this at the elders all the time mm-hmm. because what we've i mean how many times have we talked it would just be easier for us to have a culture where there's six rules as long as everybody's following the rules things are great mm-hmm. i mean our our wives joke okay what time is your elders meeting going to be overnight? Oh, nine, nine 30. And they're like, okay, so we'll see you at midnight. <laughs> right. Because we're there sometimes five, six hours. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is because in helping and trying to help some of the issues that we're trying to help people with, it's not a simple, like, what's the rule? What do they not believe? It's like, Hey, what, what's going on in the heart level? Like what, what is their idol? What, where's their pride? What do they not believe? And okay, how do we need to, what do we address first? How do we need to approach this? How do, I mean, so getting to the heart is ministry that takes love and dedication, mm-hmm. which love and dedication, I would say the same kind of the same thing here, but that's hard because in our pride, a lot of times we just want the problem to go away because it'd make my life easier. Right. Yeah. If my car, right. Like when your car breaks down, you don't want to take the day to go fix it. Why? Because, but you do because you just need to get the problem out of your way so you can get back to your kind of normal life. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with working with other people is it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. Yep, takes time. It takes um, a great amount of wisdom. Yeah. Because uh, even if the answer is right in front of you, and it seems so clear and simple, like stop it, you know, it's like you still have to, you have to help them. You have to help them by helping them see that the answer um, is Christ. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's Christ, but what do you mean? And this is where we'll probably, you said we'll do this podcast in the future what does it mean to dwell on the gospel and that's what when we say dwell on the gospel it seems so vague you know yes but, but uh, in some ways it is but it's 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 simple but it's difficult because it requires it does require a level um of learning christ and understanding what that means and and, and actually um it's like okay i want to follow christ but it's not fulfilling you know but it is fulfilling because he says it, it, it. He says it is. So, um, do you trust him enough to 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 keep at it, believing that you will find rest in him? You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, well, and I think it's not fulfilling because the person doesn't realize their pride, mm-hmm. where their pride's at, doesn't realize where their idol is, mm-hmm. and is still trying to keep their idol and have their fulfillment too. Yeah, I think you're right. And so that 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 you know in Matthew six where he says you can't um, you can't worship treasure and God Christ and God yeah. and Mammon at yeah. the same time, like we rightfully think of that as money, mm-hmm. but 
uh, I think to be fair, we're often greedy towards more than just money. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're greedy towards what we want. Everything. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that, that whether that be again, it's like I want everything. Yeah. <laughs> I want and, everything. Uh, by the way, I, I, I am. Sl- so you guys know, you guys always talk about like, I read books fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading screw tape two chapters a day. Mm-hmm. Like I'm reading it slow. Uh, that's how good this book is. Right. Yeah. I highly recommend Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Uh, I know some people, uh, to me, C.S. Lewis is bar none, one of the most observant men on humanity that I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he's, there's a reason why he'll be quoted for another 100, 200 years. Right. Yeah. Right. Or until the Lord returns. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody be like the 20th century writer C.S. Lewis said, and it'll be like, if God hadn't returned yet, it'd be like 2538. Yeah. Yeah. His stuff is not going away. It's good. Um, and it's interesting because he writes this stuff and, you know, apparently right now in the Twitter verse in the world is this big discussion over nationalism, mm-hmm. which I don't even know the debate. So I just know there's enough. I know that nationalism is debated enough to where the potential of danger of even posting something like this on online is somebody thinks you're trying to enter the debate. And it's like, no, I mean, the guy wrote this 70 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, 80 years ago. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. In a hundred years, the church will be like, hey, we have a problem. Some of our people love the country more than they love Jesus Christ. And they're infusing the two together. Yep. That's never going away. I was I was thinking about that this morning, actually. Um, that uh, a lot of people will say, like, I always hear this every year. I'm, I'm waiting. I know it's coming in some way this year. The greatest danger to the church is enter some um, pressing cultural issue. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've read, how many years in a row I've read tweets where these different things are the danger of the church and they've never destroyed the church. Amazing. Mm. Uh, but I, but I, I kept thinking like, actually that's false. The greatest danger in the church is still idolatry, pride, and unbelief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yep. and most of the time they're good things. So, yeah. uh, and the solution is to keep preaching Christ because if you become what you worship, help people understand who the center of their worship is and they'll become like him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, when you introduce that, when you frame it that way, the church easily becomes distracted from disciple making. Yes. And they, they pursue those avenues of culture change. And when they neglect the gospel, a generation later, you see the fruit of that. It's like, oh, and then they're blaming all these things that they believe that, you know, maybe destroyed the church. And really, it was a lack of faith. Yep. That's all it was. And they just left, they left the their first love, yep. ultimately. Which is the third point. Mm, yeah. Okay. At the heart of us is unbelief. There you go. Yep. And again, that unbelief could be, um, uh, that unbelief can be manifest in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, unbelief can be because one, they don't know. Right. So, um, couple gets saved. They're both 45 and, They've been married for 25 years, and every time they disagree with each other, they cold shoulder each other. Mm-hmm. And they're involved in the church, and they get to know people, and somebody says, hey, B- hey, Billy, I noticed you kind of cold to your wife tonight. Oh, yeah, she made me mad, so I give her the silent treatment until she figures it out. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, Billy, that's not very loving. Have you ever thought about what the Bible says, that um, that you have to love your enemies and 
then she's not your enemy. She's your wife. Like, love her the way Christ loves you. And he goes, I didn't know that. Well, right, right there, there's unbelief. Right. Right? No knowledge. What did it take? It took discipleship to help him figure it out. Uh, it could be that uh, they know the truth and they just don't want to submit to it. Uh, it could be that, um, right. It could be a couple other factors. could be, they don't know. could be, they don't understand, you know, uh, Hey, we're to love our enemies. And then you help them understand that. And they go, Oh, now I see why, because the gospel was God loving his enemies. So I need to change. You know what I mean? Like it could be, okay, now that I understand it, now I'm going to work on loving them. So right at the heart of that is somebody's lack of awareness or lack of understanding or a lack of submission to the gospel. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why getting to the heart of unbelief is so hard because you have to figure out, is this the unruly person that is that knows the difference but is choosing to act this way? Is this the weak person that lacks the conviction to make the to, to, to rest in Christ and to make the right decisions? Or is this the the hurt person, right? And so you can see like why wisdom is so important to this as well. Mm-hmm. Why you have to figure out what does this person believe? Well, you know, and again, uh, a lot of us are very pragmatic and we do what works. Well, the cold shoulder works because then my wife realizes that I'm mad at her. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay, but is that is that is that reflecting the character and nature of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is no, just in case you're wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you know, but just in case somebody's listening doesn't know. Like, no, it doesn't. And so, right, there's where Scripture is shedding light God is shedding light on your treatment of other people and saying, Hey, the way you treat other people does matter. Mm-hmm. And so now hopefully you go, Oh, okay. Now I see. And so you have to get to, what does this person believe? What do they believe about Jesus Christ? Um, the unbeliever does not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm not shocked by the unbelievers, sexual escapades or, their lack of integrity or their white lies or their, you know, insert whatever. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Because they, they don't believe it. They, they don't, Jesus Christ is not a voice they need to listen to. And you're, you're actually going through um, scripture in the church in, in your sermon series right now, which you know, some people just don't understand what it means that the scripture is sufficient yeah. for, for, for life and godliness, you know? So th- there's, that takes, um, you know, as you, study the scripture well you learn that you can trust god you can trust christ so there, there you, you actually grow in your trust um no no one gets saved and like like fully trust god perfectly I, we, we might trust god enough to believe the gospel but we don't realize that there's so many other areas of our life that we haven't entrusted god to so yeah i i don't know what what are your thoughts in how scripture kind of you know um I guess, uh, you know, in regards to unbelief and does that play a part? Does it not? Um, how much scripture do they need to know? Yeah, no, I think you just, I think you just hit it because you, I mean, how many times have, have you read your Bible? I mean, you and I probably more than 10 mm-hmm. uh, for the very super, super conservative. Mm-hmm. And how many times are you like, Oh, I never saw that before. Right. Right. Which is an indicator that, we're growing, we are actively growing by the Spirit's leadership. And part of that is understanding what we already have. Mm-hmm. 
Like my, our lack of understanding doesn't mean we have less of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It means we don't understand what we have. Right. It's like giving a kid, um, like it's like, Oh, I gave my <laughs> two year old an espresso machine. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't understand any of that. Like, you know, all he can see is the pretty machine and you know, maybe he sees the froth milk and he's like, that's cool. But he doesn't even know what coffee is. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like how the kid doesn't understand the value of money till they start working. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, 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 uh, seven year old or six year old seven, um, understands like, Oh, well, I, I, I can get money too. When I lose my tooth, you know, it's like, that's the only, that's the only kind of like experience they have with earning money. It's like, Oh, I lost my tooth. I got money in, under my pillow. Like I can pay for it. No, you can't. No, no you can't. <laughs> that's not going to pay for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need many more. Yeah. Miles of teeth. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And then you then your kid gets a job and starts making money and all of a sudden you're going out to eat and you notice they're having the water instead of the Coke. Right. And instead of ordering the most expensive because they yeah, that's a great analogy. They start to see. And so that's like us, right? Like that's what you're saying, that that a lack of you know, a lot of it is I would say in the church, most uh, unbelief in the church is not willful rejection. It's not a lack of submissive heart. It's a lack of understanding. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And that, that's what, that's what makes the, the, that's why I get so annoyed with legalistic people is because their assumption and in their zeal, their assumption towards other people is that it's a, it's a willful lack of submission. It's a willful rebellion. Mm -hmm. And to be fair with teachable people, rarely do you see that Mm -hmm. most of the time it's a, lack of awareness of the sufficiency of scripture that, Oh, the Bible can help me navigate my anger problem. It can help me navigate my, my desires. It can help me navigate like, like, Oh, it, it actually does address this. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, the more you understand justification and union, right. That even helps start to reorient things in such a way to where like, Oh, now I understand why Christ is my treasure okay, you know what? I made those three people mad, but I made them bad because I didn't vote for the county commissioner they wanted me to vote for. Well, now rather than be defensive, okay, you know what, Lord, that's not where my identity is. You know what I mean? So now, now you just, you, you change your disposition. And so all of that stems from, because you start to trust more the God who saved you and the Christ who you have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wrote this like little, um, uh, kind of four, four points on belief, unbelief um, that a person. So when it comes to what we believe, these are all possible at any given time. The person is an unbeliever and rejects the gospel. The person is a believer who doesn't know what God's word says. The person is a belief or the person is a believer who doesn't understand what God's word says, or the person is a believer who doesn't want to submit to what God's word says. Mm-hmm. And in all of those situations slightly requires a different response. Yeah. Right. So the, the unbeliever, I'm not going to pull them aside and be you know, I'm not going to pull them aside and start giving them biblical wisdom. Uh, although, you know, an unbeliever calls me and has financial questions. I might be able to like, hear some financial wisdom, but at the same time, like I'm not going to expect them to act like a believer. So the person who's an unbeliever and rejects the gospel, the solution is given the gospel. Well, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Um, the believer who doesn't know what God's word says, what's that require? It requires teaching and patience because 
uh, as, as Ortland said in his book deeper, you know, you present a problem to somebody or you confront somebody in their sin, the act of confronting them doesn't make for immediate change. It may take time. Yep. That person may actually reject everything you say, leave four months later, go, Oh, you know what? They were right. Yep. And that's okay. You know, and that, that's, that's why it takes such patience on our part because we need to realize, you know, um, a lot of us don't knee jerk respond to, to what we perceive as criticism or telling us we're wrong. We don't, we don't respond to that in a knee jerk very well. It, it takes some kind of like thought and some kind of like being made self-aware to go, Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, they may not understand what God's word says. Uh, and sometimes they, they may look and say, okay, I understand what God's word says. I know what God's word says. Well now how do I navigate it in the issue I'm in? So here was a scenario that really helped me out. True story, not in, not in cornerstone, but true story. Okay. Okay. So this really helped me. Um, and, uh, where I heard this story from was somebody that was really helpful to cornerstone getting our feet off the ground. So, uh, in his church, he had a couple in his church who had been coming for a year and they had six kids and she was pregnant with number seven. And he was married to another woman. Wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so six, seven kids out of wedlock, basically. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's legally married to another woman. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So they'd been together for like 10 years. The marriage obviously hasn't been an old or done with in 10 years. So obviously you could say they're in sin because of this. Okay. He doesn't make enough money to pay for the divorce. It's going to cost him 500, but because he's got seven kids, he's the only one that works and Southern California expenses, right? Mm-hmm. So what did the pastor ended up doing was, okay, they said, Hey, we, we recognize that this isn't the way God designed it. We recognize we need to live the way God designed it. Now, how do we do that? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's right. The fact that those start to come in line was like, okay, now you have people that are dealing with God's word, wanting to be right navigating the situation they're in, recognizing the hurdles and saying, okay, how do we accomplish this? And that, that's what I think a lot of people don't realize too, is when you get to the heart of what's going on, right? If all you do is look at the actions and you just say, well, just do these three things, right? At the heart, these people were, were prioritizing Christ rightfully, right? They're coming to terms with their behavior. They're all of these things are starting to come in line, right? To where you go, okay, but, but, it's not as simple as, well, let me marry you right now. You got to get this divorce through. Mm-hmm. So you see what I mean? So it took some time for them to get through. And ultimately the church didn't want to pay for his divorce, which made sense to me. So they helped him find a way to save up money, uh, paid for his divorce to go through and um, married the couple, hmm. Okay, you know? So again, and, and apparently the divorce was legit too. So, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? So, yeah. okay. It wasn't like they were, they were, they were, um, uh, encouraging him to be unfaithful. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, it was a mar- marriage that should have ended. Yes. Yes. For, yeah. 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 Okay. Assuming that's. Yeah. The, Cause somebody will listen in and be like, well, why didn't he go back to his first wife? No, no, that, that was out of the question. Mm-hmm. It was right for him to divorce the spouse. Okay. Okay. So um, all that to say, right. That, that's to say too, that, that sometimes actions at the hard issues, people start, people do come in line with right belief, 
right worship, right humility. And you still have to be slow because sometimes it still takes time to navigate through the muddy waters that your unbelief put you in. Right. right yeah. Right. So, right. Sometimes your unbelief puts you out into the deep end of the pool uh, and, or let's say the deep end of a lake and to get back into the shallow waters where you want to be, it's just going to take a little bit of work and time and patience and effort. And yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. you look back and you go, yeah, because you muddied, you took yourself out so far. It's just going to take time. Yep. Some, some situations are just really ugly <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the nutshell that it, there's no simple solution. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to get, so all that to say, when you're working with people, you got to get to the heart issue. Yes. You got to figure out what's going on. Where's the pride? Where's the idolatry? Where's the worship? What do they believe? Yeah. Now, now that takes time. That, that same scenario. If what would it, uh, what would an unfaithful, um, uh, how, how would that look if it was unfaithful or if it was, uh, there was a lack of, you know, faith and, and maybe there was idolatry instead of obedience. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they I think they double down on um it doesn't matter if we're married or not. Okay. Gotcha. I think they double down on um, hey, this is this is God's blessed us with six kids, like I'm gonna do it my way. Yeah. Okay. I mean we see this all we see this all the time in couples yeah. and people that well, but look, I got this, obviously. And it's like, uh no, that's not true. Like you're like you're diso like you're you're blatantly rejecting what God's word says. You know, you, you see that now with like you know, in some issues with um, same-sex marriage. Well, but we're married, so God God blesses that. Uh, no, like you're still not fitting the definition of what God's word says mm-hmm. a marriage is. You're not married. Yeah, the state may acknowledge some relationship with you, but God isn't looking at both of you as if you're married. Right. In fact, you, the only reason for your divorce is to legally get the state to recognize what is true about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and that, that just takes, you know, that's not, it's not easy because that blatant willful rejection, you yeah. know, yeah. is, is unbelief. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And you got to get them, you got to help them see the pride and the idolatry and the unbelief that's in there. So, uh, now, now at some level that can turn up being obstinate and, the, and, I, and, um, one, one of the things, you know, and th- first of all, you got to realize all of us are probably obstinate on some things, but some people are obstinate to the point to where, um, unbelievers, they don't want to hear the gospel. They don't care what Jesus Christ says. They don't, they don't want to hear it. They, you know, you go to Thanksgiving and you just know aunt Billy doesn't want to talk about it. Um, so how do you navigate those obstinate people? Mm-hmm. How do you get to the heart issue of them? Mm-hmm. Well, there to me, it's one, you recognize that they're obstinate and that they, you know, and the ways you can recognize that is mocking the gospel, mocking you for believing um, flat out telling you, I don't want your religion. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. Okay, fine. No worries. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely no worries. Um, now the response to obstinate people, because here's where there's confusion. The Bible says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. That's the response to obstinate people. Okay. That's not the same as canceling them. That is not the same as canceling. Right. Them. Okay. Dust your feet off. And move on. In that context, he's talking about going and doing ministry. So here's where you can follow the Second Timothy two two. Okay, I got two people that uh, I think maybe God wants me to to be a part of discipling them. Person A doesn't want to talk about Jesus. Person A, person B, uh, is reading everything you're reading and is happy to talk about everything. Okay, God definitely is telling you person B is ready to be discipled. Disciple person B. Right. 
spend time with person B, pour into person B, help person B understand the gospel better. Person A and their obstinance is, okay, I'm, I'm kicking the dust off my feet. I'm not going to deal with you mm-hmm. um, in the gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to waste my time casting my pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. Now, when he says cast your pearl before swine, he's not calling them a swine. He's using, right, he's using a saying in the time, right, don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste your resources. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your effort. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's not saying it's okay to call them pigs, mm-hmm. right? He's not saying... Don't cast your don't don't serve police officers. Yeah, yeah, because basically swine swine, right? The idea is that they 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 don't see the pearl as valuable as you are. Yes. So if, if they're gonna trample over it, over it, why cast it there? Yes. Well, why why? That's a temptation, by the way, because I think especially with people who um who want to see people saved and they want they want they they desperately want to see their loved ones saved and say so they invest. A lot of energy that actually turns into a lot of hostility in the relationship and then neglect the person that actually is ready to be, you know, it's like, for me, it's like, man, I, I prefer just, I'll go for the low hanging fruit. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, because maybe that's what the Lord has given you to, to, to focus on and let God deal with um, uh, the, the hard hearted person because he'll change their heart in his time. Yes. Yeah. So that, and that you just said it exactly. Like, I got all the time in the world for my kids who want to, you know, when they're, when they want to learn and grow, got all that time in the world. I'm not necessarily going to pour a bunch of energy and effort into them when they're being obstinate and stiff necked. Right. They're not even in the position to learn. Mm -hmm. However, I'm not going to cut ties with my kids because they're being obstinate and stiff necked. You're you're not going to, you're not going to give up being a father, right? right? You still have a role in their life. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like a coworker. Okay. Hey, listen, aunt or, or aunt Billy. Okay, Aunt Billy, I know you don't want to talk about the gospel, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm not going to sit down and hand you another tract. I'm not going to like one up you with Bible verses. I'm just going to like let you know, hey, I'm glad you're here this Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for coming. It's a joy to see you. It's been a while since I've seen you. Is this Aunt Billy Jean, or <laughs> is it? I don't sorry, know. just. I, ha- I do have an Uncle Julie, so. Do you? Yeah. I was just thinking Aunt Billy. Maybe Aunt Billy <laughs> is a guy that's becoming a girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's like Billy Sue in the South. Um, Billy Sue, there you go. Billy Jean. Yeah, yeah Billie see. Jean, yeah. Uh, uh, I feel like is it Mike, B-I-L-L-Y, is, that's William, right? Uh, and then Billy uh, is B-I-L-L-I. Oh, oh, yep, yep, yep. 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 See, so yep. I don't know. I just, you know, you, you dangerous, right? Because if you're like, if you use somebody's name that everybody knows, like, yeah, yeah Aunt Chelsea sits down, people are like, uh. <laughs> and then your kids listen to this and like, Dad, why why were you guys talking about, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so all that to say, like, you, you, I come up with weird names. I tried to, the weirdest name possible I can. <laughs> um, and then I feel bad for Karen when we talk about Karen because I'm like, oh, no, not all Karens are created equal. Uh, so, um, right. So with aunt Billy, I'm not going to necessarily like try to one up her weird political views. I'm not going to try to bash her with like counter articles. It's going to be more like, Hey, I'm glad you're here. I love you. It's good to see you. Tell me what life's been like. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to trust that as a part of the process. Mm. It's amazing what, um, treating them like a normal human being, um, can do in the long run yes because i I, i've by you know through experience 
the people that are hard like that, um, they ended up opening opening up at some point for, and they just they trust you because they know you're not there to just bash them. They know that you actually care about them as a human being, and that's sometimes that's what exactly what they need. They need to know that believers are believers or followers of Jesus Christ actually care about them as a human being. Um, and, and so when, when they open up to you, they know that you're not, you're not going to just, you know, preach at them, but you want to help them yeah. and, um, you know, let God, let God work, work with that, yeah. um, that strategy. I think that works. Yeah. Agreed. Well, yeah. and we don't know why they're hurt. Yeah. You know, it's possible that a religious person hurt them. And I mean, people are horrible at diagnosing other people. No, no offense. Right. A lot of times I hear people diagnose. I'm like out to lunch. Hmm. Like you could have, you could have smoked a doobie before making that statement. And I would have been and like, you know what I mean? That would have better explained your assessment. Right. And, and the reason why I say that is because it's very common for people to be like, Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, I know what you're like. Hmm. Why? Well, because I had this encounter 2,500 miles on the other side of the ocean and they treated me like this. So you must be like them. And you're like, like, I'll never forget the, the one, the one person that, that got saved and said, Hey, am I supposed to hate, uh, homosexuals? Cause I struggle hating homosexuals. I was like, no, you're not supposed to hate anybody. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, good. And I was like, where'd you get that idea? And they were like, well, social media. I was like, of course you did. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so it's possible your aunt Billy is associating with the other people and you have to kind of win their respect in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And make them realize, wait a minute, there's something different about Gino mm-hmm. than these other believers I know. And to be fair, I would rather have somebody hot or cold, and the, and the the opposite of person is cold, because yeah. at some point they're going to come. Like you said, they're going to yeah. come around. Yeah. The lukewarm, apathetic person is the one at the table that is the most troubled. Yeah. They say yes to every. They agree with everything. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, they. They live like hell. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like, they don't care. Yeah, they don't, they don't care. care. Like the things yeah. of God don't even matter. Yeah, at least this person's peeved off enough. Yeah, that that somebody would represent God in a harsh way, and that you know what I mean. There's a party mm-hmm. that's like, you can hear people criticize that kind of believer, and there's a party that's like, yeah, no, I, w- I would actually agree with your criticism. Like, like that person was harsh to you in the name of Christianity. That is this. That's not the Bible. God, that's not the way God is discipling His people. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I'm as equally offended and appalled by that person's behavior as you are because of what it did to the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. So uh, with obstinate people, uh, I gave this analogy, one at men's and at women's where, you know, back in the day, those hotel rooms, they used to have adjoining rooms and there was a door and each hotel room could open the door and it would connect their hotel rooms. So an obstinate person has closed the door to the gospel. Now I have a choice. I can close the door and cancel the person or I can leave the door open. I'm going to leave the door open. Now I may not talk about the gospel with them. I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not, I'm going to dust my feet off. However, the door's still open just in case they ever change their mind and they open and they open that door back up. Gina, you still there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still here. Love you. You ready to talk? Like, what do you, what's going on? Hey, can I talk to you? Of course. Yeah. You know, and because you just like the spirit, uh, when you when you remove somebody from the church from divisive behavior, the idea in the Timothys and Titus is that Satan will sift them or God will sift them out on their own. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's what that's what it takes. It takes the person to get out on their own, 
to be sifted, to have that prodigal son moment where they're like, I'm eating out of the pig trough. Mm. Uh, there were people that actually loved me who had the name of Christ. I'm going to go back. Yeah. Because that would, that actually, I actually enjoy that now. Now I realize this is vanity and that is valuable. And so you just, you don't know. And so if instead your response to opposite people is to bash them, to insult them, to belittle them, to throw a bunch of like counter cultural arguments to their cultural, whatever you, you, all you're doing is just fuel on that fire, fuel of like fueling their hatred all the more. And when they're broken, they're not coming to you. They're going somewhere else, yep. which, which honestly is fine. If they go to someone else, the problem is I want you to be valuable. I want you to, to actually be able to, to be there to minister to them too. And yeah. I want you to honor Christ in the way you did. Yeah. There's, um, there's actually like a bunch of Mormons online realizing the history of the religion and they leave Mormonism um, and they just kind of are, are just deaf towards anything religious at that. You know what I mean? Because they found out the truth, but now they don't trust anything. Yep. It's like, you, know, you got to be careful. Like sometimes you can win someone out of something, but not win them to Christ. That's right. And that's, that's not the goal. The goal is faith in Jesus Christ. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So all that to say, cause your points a hundred percent. Yeah. It, that never shocks me when you see the, there was the TV show where they help people escape. Um, they help the girls escape. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't remember the name yeah. of the TV show. I saw one or two episodes. Okay. Um, and even Leah Rimey's the escape from Scientology. Mm. Uh, and yet most of those people are quote unquote, a religious. Yep. And it's like, of course you are because from your perspective, I'm just another religion. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what differentiates me from Scientology? And, and so it's interesting because when people say, well, we don't want to be of the world, right? So I've even heard people say like, oh, you don't want to drink alcohol because you, you don't want to be of the world, right? You got to be salt. Well, it's like actually by being, by actually like when you're around somebody and you know they value you, that's salt mm-hmm. because the rest of unbelief doesn't do that. That's so true. So now you're actually salt by the way you treat them. Not because you skipped alcohol, not because you didn't watch rated R movies. Mm-hmm. It's because of your treatment of that individual. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, all that's same. Uh, I don't know what else we want to say on this. Um, you got to get to the heart issue. Uh, and the solution is the gospel, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I think we, we intentionally, we're just trying to, like, what to does me. It mean? Yeah. What does yeah. it mean to get to the heart? Yeah. Yes. What does it mean to get to the heart, to uncover what do they believe? That's the good starting point for helping them then navigate how to how to respond with faith and trust and worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. And and then when we when we say and when we say, um, what does it mean to or when we ask the question, what does it mean to dwell on the gospel? The gospel um, is the answer. It is the ultimate answer. Um, and so yeah, I guess we'll answer that next time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the gospel, yep. uh, you can start by doing this homework, Romans 5, 6. Mm. Memorize Romans 5, 6 through 11 and think much on it, and that will help you um, navigate the gospel. Mm. All right, well, this is a long one, but uh, hopefully helpful. So happy new year. Uh, if there's any things that need to be corrected in this podcast, feel free to let us know. Uh, if there's you know anything that you'd like to hear us talk about this year, feel free to let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh I always hesitate to ask that because mm-hmm. some things I get, it's like as much as I want to talk about that. Uh, it's like, I feel like sometimes we talk about it by trying to drive more at heart issues. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. 
Well, we'll probably line up some some more uh, interviews this year too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm working on one with uh, Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. Oh, we're going to interview Albert Einstein. Okay. Oh yeah. From his grave. Oh, from his. Dang it! I, I knew there was a problem with that. <laughs> all right. Well, his publisher. I got to talk to him then. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Anthony. Uh, all right. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.